so I'm excited about getting to preach this text to you because those of us who know Christ will one day be glorified. That is coming. Now, it's not coming as quick as you think, okay? Because I was thinking one thing as I studied and read and everything else, I come to realize glorification is going to take a little while, potentially, but I don't know because I don't know God's timing, but I know it don't happen at the moment of death, which as I was understanding it is not correct. So anyway, we're going to study through this, this word today of glorification. Now, the the Bible is very clear about the fact of the resurrection. We know that Christ rose from the grave. And when he rose from the grave, he had a different body. The accounts of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus leave lots of questions unanswered. And since his disciples and friends didn't always recognize him immediately, indicates that he was different in appearance. He was a little different in appearance after his post-resurrection. Though he was the same person. He was clearly the same person. He knew all the disciples and all of this, but yet he looked different. They didn't recognize him at first. The stories of his appearing suddenly in the room where the disciples were meeting, even when the doors were closed, caused people to wonder how the resurrection body related to material things. We know they were in an upper room. The doors were locked. They were scared for their life. But yet Jesus appears to them in that upper room. So there was something different about how things related to the material body. Then too, it seemed that Christ no longer needed physical nourishment, as our bodies do. But John tells us of his eating fish for the disciples after the resurrection in John 21. Yet again, baffles the mind of us with our finite minds. We were like, well, I don't know how that happens, but it did. And it's hard for us with our knowledge of the parts of the body and their functions to imagine what a person would be like with any other kind of body. But Paul's word to the Corinthians has some helpful insight for us. So that gives you a little inclination as to where we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 35 through 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 30 excuse me 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 35 through 58. Now, glorification is defined as the final step in the application of redemption. The application of redemption. It will happen when Christ returns and raises from the dead the bodies of all believers for all time who have died. Notice it said the bodies of all believers. Because scripture, we know, says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay, so this is talking about the bodies. It will happen when Christ returns and raises from the dead the bodies of all believers for all time who have died and reunites them with their souls and changes the bodies of all believers who remain alive, thereby giving all believers at the same time perfect resurrection bodies like his own. At that time, when the last trumpet blows, then we will all receive our resurrected spiritual Bodies, our glorified bodies, will be 100% sanctified, glorified, fully redeemed. Now, to get into heaven, you've got to be fully sanctified, which means you're fully set apart, sinless, and all that kind of stuff. So our soul goes on to be with the Lord at the point of death, but yet our bodies are in the ground, right? Our bodies are in the ground, whether they're, whether they're buried, cremated, aquamated, which is the new way, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, our bodies are here because they're dust. They cannot enter into heaven yet. So let's look at the passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is beginning in verse 35 through 38. 
is where we will start this morning. So let's look at verses 35 through 38. I've entitled this part, Let's Address the Question. Let's address the question. Let us address the question. Look there in verse 35 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, Paul writes. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps weed or some other grain. But God gives it a body that he pleases, and to each seed its own body. So here there is a question that is asked. So we're going to address the question. How are the dead raised up? How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Paul uses the analogy of the seed. Paul used the analogy of the seed. The seed is put in the ground and dies. But in due time, it rises again. And does so with a very different kind of body from that with which it was sown. Paul is showing that uh, at one and the same time, there can be disillusion. That means there can be difference, yet continuity. And the seed, it's dissolved. When it rises again, there's a vast difference in its body, right? And yet, in spite of the dissolution and the difference, it is the same seed. So our earthly bodies will dissolve. They will rise again in a very different form, but it's the same person who will rise. Dissolved by death, changed by resurrection, it is still we who exist. It is still you and I who exist. No matter what, this will be our body. This will be my body for all of eternity. Granted, I won't have a scar on this arm anymore from where I broke it in the lake a few years ago. I won't have that scar anymore. I won't have this little spot on my face no more uh, because of, I don't know, whatever caused that sun or whatever it may be. I won't have a receding hairline. You know, I'll have a full head of hair. Man, praise God. All these things will come back because my body will be as God would have intended it without sin. The sin nature, no matter who we are, sin has affected our mortal bodies. It has, it will, and it will continue to do so. And when it gets put in the grave, as it talks about, just as a seed, when it gets put in the grave, there is corruption. There's corruption on this mortal body. We're going to get into that in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But Paul uses this agricultural imagery to explain the transformation that will occur later on in life, in the life of the believer. And he uses this illustration. I've talked about this many a times. Paul and Christ both use a lot of agricultural and architectural type illustrations because that's what was present all around them. There was Rome, so people knew all about architecture. And then there was the, the hillsides, the mountainsides, and, and the fertile fields and everything that's there around Israel to explain what these spiritual matters meant. And so he uses this agricultural imagery the region of corinthia paul was using was an area suitable for growing large amounts of grain to support the large population of the colony there so paul is using that seed because people would understand that today as we preach and as we teach we've got to use things that are commonplace for people in our society so they can grasp it you know when i was a a, a teacher when i was a preacher to students primarily you know, I'd use the cell phone. I would use social medias, Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat, all these things. Some of you probably don't have those things. Some of you may. 
You're trying to stay young. But you got those things, and you keep up with stuff. You know what I mean? So I can use those illustrations because they understand them. But yet, like, I don't understand Snapchat. I mean, I understand it, but I don't use it. Uh, I, I don't think it's healthy for me. Uh, so I don't use that. Now, TikTok, it's got some funny stuff on there, so I use it. But, and I've made TikTok videos, you know, so I mean, I, I use that. But the primary thing I use is Instagram, Facebook, because I've gotten older. <laughs> so anyway, but we use these things that are commonplace to us. And, the, and Paul is using this, this imagery, this agricultural imagery of the seed. What is contained inside that seed is life. And when that seed breaks open, there still is a seed, but the life is still the life that was in it when it was put in the ground, and it's the life that still exists beyond the ground. And that's the way we are. Our soul, God, the Bible tells us, God created us in his image. We all look extremely different in this room, very different. So God didn't make us to look like him in the material, in the corruption, in the body, in the mortal body. He made us like him in soul and spirit. That's how he made us. That's how we are created in the image of Christ, in the image of God. And when we die, as I quoted earlier, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So obviously the body is somewhere. It's in the ground. It's cremated, aquamated, whatever it may be, wherever it may be. You know, people do all kinds of things with, with their bodies once, once they're gone. But God is the one who has created Adam from dust, from the dirt of the earth. No matter what you choose to do with your body, after, you, after your soul goes on to heaven, whatever you have chosen to do with your body, God can put it back together. He did it originally in Genesis. So you ain't got to worry about that, okay? All right, some people get all up in arms about what should I do with my body. Don't worry about it. It's about what God's going to do with your body. What's God going to do with your body? If you're lost and in sin and without him, it don't matter what God does with your body because you're not going to be resurrected to a spiritual body that's going to live on eternally with him in heaven. But yet, if you are a believer in Christ, he's going to resurrect that body. It don't matter where it comes from. It's going to be an interesting day when that last trumpet sounds, to say the least. I hope that the Lord already calls me home because I really don't want to see a lot of dust coming together to become bodies. You know what I mean? We watch these scary movies, these apocalyptic movies. It's going to look like that, guys. I'm telling you, it's going to be weird. So what I hope is that God's already called me home and I'm just like meeting up. My body's like, it's like, Coming together like Avengers. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, whatever. See what I mean? Using illustrations that are. So, there's, <laughs> let me move on. There's differences of earthly flesh as well. Look there in verse 39. In verse 39, it says, All flesh is not the same, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. Now, what is contained in every single one of those things? Starts with an L, ends in I. Life, that's right. There is life in every single one of those things, right? In mankind, there is life. There is a form of life. In animals, there is life. In birds, there is life. And in fish, there is life. But there's a different flesh to every one of them. I could go for a long time here debunking evolution. But I'm not going to sit here too long because that's going to add about 15 minutes to my sermon. But, we understand that that's the truth. That's how God made us. God made each and everything different. It has its own flesh, but we all have a form of life. We all have a form of life. But unlike the animals and unlike birds and fish, we have a soul that was created in the image of God. 
Paul writes this using the creation account as a framework for his statement. He presents earthly flesh in descending order of complexity. He says, man, animals, birds, and fish. And that's how Paul wrote that so we can understand that. And we can obviously see the differences in these created creatures. The skin type we have varies from the various types of animal skins, animal flesh, from, and animals from birds and birds from fish. And we're all created dynamically different, yet with similar function for life. We all breathe in some way, shape, or fashion. We all have some form of having life. But the greatest type of life to have is an eternal life. An eternal life with Christ. So Paul writes that there's, there's a difference here. There's a difference in the flesh. The differences of the earthly flesh. Then there's the distinctions of the heavenly bodies. Look there, verses 40 through 41. All this time, Paul is trying to illustrate the fact of how there's differentiating glories or uniqueness of the created order. So listen at verses 40 through 41. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. You know, that's talking about stars and it's also talking about planets. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So Paul also applies this descending brilliance to the order of the heavenly bodies. He places them in the order of sun, moon, and stars. And this builds on the analogy of the seed by showing that God gives each kind of flesh or body its own unique glory. He gives each and every one its own unique glory. And during this time, as, as Paul is writing here, we know Paul comes in to a lot of different cultures and societies into their main places of thought, and he begins to present his idea of thought. And we know that at this time in the 5th uh, century B.C., Greek scientists were beginning to explain night and day. They're, they were beginning to explain night and day. So those in Corinth were able to grasp this thought pattern because these gains in knowledge formed part of the Roman education. So he's talking to, to all, all statuses, if you will, all levels of educated people when he's talking about this. Anybody can see there's a difference between a man, and animal, a bird, and a fish. I say that. <laughs> I say that today. But we can see that, right? There's a difference. And then he talks about the celestial bodies and the terrestrial bodies. And we know from our perspective there are different glories. The sun obviously has a brilliance, a mighty glory to it. So glorious that it's the reflection of the sun on the moon that gives the moon its brilliance. And then you have stars that based upon how far they are from the earth is how glorious their brilliance is. And then as you get closer to them you can see they're probably just as brilliant but they're further away. But yet, from our perspective, from man's perspective, we see that, that there's difference in glories. Every star diff differs in glory. These differences and distinctions are made of the earthly flesh and the heavenly bodies. Paul is preparing the way for the sharp contrast between what is sown in the old creation and what will be raised in the new creation. Paul is arguing that God is about to take Similar physical material and organize it differently to accomplish his purposes. Obviously, if there's different types of flesh for different types of environments, if you will, 
fish and birds. The birds are in the sky. The fish are in the water. We walk on land. He's, he's, he's formed our bodies to be able to survive there and live there. Obviously, there's going to be a different type of body to survive in the celestial, in the heavenlies. Right? There's going to have to be a different body. That's the reason why we as, as believers, as Baptists, most specifically as Southern Baptists, we believe in a bodily resurrection. That's glorification, is the bodily resurrection. And that will occur some point in the future when the last trumpet is blown. Let's look at verses 42 through 45. It says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. In these verses, Paul draws four contrasts on our future glorified state. The first is the present body is sown in corruption. Look there in verse 42. It says the body is sown in corruption, but the glorified body will be raised incorruptible. What does this mean? In this world, everything is subject to change and decay. Youth's beauty fades, and manhood's glory fades is how one philosopher puts it. But in the life to come, there will be a permanence in which beauty will never lose its luster. The corruptible. We think about that. We, we, we get corrupted. We're around things that corrupt our bodies. We, we take in things that corrupt our bodies. You know, you think about secondhand smoke. You think about different things like that. Things that will corrupt your body. These things will happen in our, in our life. But one day, we will be incorruptible. We will have a spiritual glorified body that cannot be corrupted anymore. Cannot be corrupted by the things of the world because the thing in the world will be gone. You know, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I'm not going to get into Revelation completely yet. But that's, there'll, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And us, in our spiritual bodies that have been glorified, will reside in, the, in that place. And it will occur at some point in the future. So the present body is sown, in, is sown corruptible, but the glorified body will be raised incorruptible. Look at the second, in the second point there. It says, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. The glorified body will be raised in glory. It may be that Paul... Uh, it may be that Paul means that in this life, it is through our bodily feelings and passions that dishonor can so easily come. We can so easily dishonor this body that we have. But in the life to come, our bodies will no longer be the servants of passion and of impulse, but the instruments of the pure service of God, than which there we can be no greater honor. Excuse me. Than which there can be no greater honor. Let me say that correctly. There's no greater honor than to live a life of pure service to God, to be noble instruments. And we'll be able to do that. It won't be dishonorable. We won't have vile passions and things of that nature anymore. We'll have a passion to serve God fully. And that'll be it. That'll be our passion. Our passion will be to be present in the Lord, to be serving the Lord, to be praising the Lord. And it's a healthy passion. The present body is sown in weakness, it says there in verse 43. But it is raised in power. The glorified body will be raised in power. It's, it's now fashionable to talk about man's power. But I want to tell you, 
what's most interesting, the most remarkable thing is man's weakness. All it takes is a change uh, of, in the air or a drop of water can kill a man. It's really the weakness of man. We are limited in this life so often simply because of the necessary limitations of the body. The weakness of the body. One day, one day, we, we won't have to worry about it anymore. That frustration will be gone because in the life to come, limitations will be gone. Here we are compassed about with weakness. There we will be clad with power. No more will we have this weakness. No longer will our backs be hurting, our knees be hurting, our, our shoulders be hurting. No longer will our voices wear out from singing and then preaching. You know, No longer will we have these issues that we have because we'll be clad in power, not in weakness. We won't succumb to the things that we so easily succumb to now, which obviously there'll be no temptation, there'll be no sin in heaven. But we'll have power like that to be able to live as Christ has called us to live. So we'll be incorruptible. We'll, be, uh, we'll have glory. And we'll have power. But we'll have those things in a spiritual body. Look there in verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. And there is a spiritual body. And so it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So the present body is sown in a natural body. It's what we're in today. It's what houses who we are. Who we are is not really this flesh and bone. Who we are is who we are in Christ or apart from Christ. It's who we are. It doesn't matter uh, what, how tall I am, short I am, color I am, Whatever, the voice that I have, the, any, anything about that. What matters is, is who I am on the inside, who God created me to be. And, and that's the difference. This natural body does not matter. What matters is my spiritual body. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean you go around and you waste away and you do crazy stuff with your natural body. I believe God calls us to be good stewards of our body, to be mindful of what we take in, whether what it is we eat or we drink or see or hear. I think God wants us, I don't think I know, God wants us to be morally good, behaving people. But I want to tell you this, if you ain't got Christ in your life, you're not going to be able to do any of those things. You've got to have Christ in your life so your moral compass is not on self, but on the Savior. And that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It may be, when Paul was writing this about the natural body and the spiritual body, that Paul meant that here we are but imperfect vessels and imperfect instruments for the Spirit. But in the life to come, we will be such that the Spirit can truly fill us as we can never, as can never happen here. And that Spirit can truly use us as is never possible now. They will never, uh, excuse me, then we will be able to render the perfect worship, the perfect service, the perfect love that now can only be a vision and a dream. One day we'll be able to do that. We'll be able to do that in that perfect, glorified, spiritual body. Now look there in verses 46 through 49. It's talking about the order of birth. Verse 46, Paul writes, However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward, the spiritual. Now, this is not talking about salvation. This is talking about a body. 
the seed. What covers who we are, okay? So don't get those confused because for many years uh, there, there's been confusion. But however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So in life, there is development. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, Genesis 2-7. But Jesus is far more than a man made uh, from the dust of the earth. He is the incarnation of the very Spirit of God. Now, under the old way of life, we were one with Adam. We were sharing his sin, inheriting his death, and having his body. But under the new way of life, we are one with Christ. And we shall therefore share his life and his being. It is true that we have a physical body to begin with, obviously. You know what I mean? We, we look around, we know we've got a, a physical body. But it is also true that one day we shall have a spiritual body. It'll happen one day. Man is created from the dust of the earth, such as the first Adam was. And all the descendants from him own. In contrast, the last Adam, Christ, came from heaven into a human body, the incarnation. A body that was glorified following his resurrection. He is the God-man, John 3.13. Those who belong to him, Paul says, are also of heaven and will ultimately be like him, 1 John 3.2. One day we will be like him. Christ was not recognized immediately by those believers, by the apostles, the disciples, who walked with him day and night. They walked with him during the day, probably slept at night. But sometimes they walked at night, the Bible records. But they walked with him, and they spent the night with him, and hung out with him, and ate with him, fellowshiped with him. But yet, when he rose from the grave, it took them a minute to figure out, who is this guy that's with us? You know why? Because he had a glorified body. It took them a while to register, this is Jesus. But when he spoke, because he is who he, who he is within that spiritual body, they recognize this is, the, this is Christ, this is Jesus, who we walked with and talked with, who we did life with. We will be able to recognize one another by who we are, not by some physical thing. Like when we go to heaven now, it's a spiritual. We will be spiritual when we're there now. We will be a spirit. But one day when that last trumpet sounds, the, corrupt, the, uh, the corrupted will put on the incorruptible. Now, granted, our sanctified spirits that are in heaven will put on that incorruptible body. We'll do that. One day. Let's look there, verses 50 through 57. Paul gives us some more insight into what it means for glorification. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren. Notice they're, they're, they're believers in Christ. They're at the church at Corinth. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. 
and we shall be changed. Remember, we're talking about that seed because obviously to be, to be uh, absent from the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. That's right. All right. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Why is that? Because Christ was the first fruits of the grave. He was the firstborn of the grave. He was the first one to have the spiritual glorified body. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory that brings our change is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is not what you and I have done. We've talked about salvation. For it is by grace through faith that you're saved, not of works. It's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. It's not our work. It's Jesus Christ that gives the victory. Jesus Christ gives the victory. So for me to teach this and preach this, I'm going to do it in reverse. Verses 50 through 57. Start there in verse 57. But thanks be to God that gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We should be a thankful person for the victory that comes through Jesus Christ. We should be a thankful person because one day we'll be glorified. So we're thankful that Jesus came and put on flesh, on the Spirit, and lived and died. And the incorruptible actually put on corruption for you and me. The immortal put on mortal for you and me. The all-powerful God put on weakness for you and for me. The victory comes through Jesus. And we should be thankful for that. I think a lot of our, our failures or our losses in life comes because we don't give, uh, gra uh, we don't give gratitude and thankfulness to our God and Father Jesus Christ who has given us the victory. And listen, Paul can say this because the sting of death is sin and sin will be no more. Sin will be no more for the believer. We don't even have to worry about the law no more because the law is fulfilled in Christ. Christ is our lawgiver. He is our grace giver. And He has fulfilled it all. So, so Paul goes on there in verse 55 and he says, Oh death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? He's mocking them. Where is this at? Because you know what? Because it's gone. It has no value. You have no strength anymore. Because all the power is in Christ. No more weakness. All the glory is in Christ. No more dishonor. All the incorruption. Your sin cannot corrupt him anymore. The law cannot point out the fact that there's any corruption. There is none in Jesus. Never has been. But yet here it is. Death, where's your sting? Hades, where's your victory? Nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found when you're in Christ Jesus. When will we be able to put on that, that when will we be able to put on this incorruption? It will be at Christ's return. Look back up in there into verse uh, 51. Now he talks about all the incorruptible, putting on incorruption. 
But when is that going to take place for you and I? If we're a believer in Jesus Christ and we've died in Christ, this, this seed has been put in the ground, but yet our soul has gone on to heaven. When are we going to be able to put on this incorruptible? When are we going to be able to put on this incorruptible body? When are we going to put on this body that is not in dishonor, but in honor and glory? When are we going to put on this glorified spiritual body? It says this, behold, I tell you a mystery. We don't really know when it's going to happen. It's going to be a wild ride. It's, it's a mystery. It's mysterious, Paul says. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Every single person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, because he's already called them brethren. He's not talking to the lost. He's talking to the believers. So he says, I'm telling you, it's a mystery. But we all shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Just as quick as that. You know, I think about uh, different things that we see. I, I, I referenced that about the Avengers and, and how, when, if you will, for that lack of better terms, I'm going to use a, a modern-day illustration. Thanos is the villain in the movie, and he gets, the, he, gets, he gets all the stones of power, and he, he snaps. And when he snaps, within moments, everybody just, those that he wanted to disappear just turn into dust. Well, in a snap, all that dust is going to come back onto the soul and that body will be incorrupted. There'll be no corruption about that body. There'll be no dishonor about that body. There'll be no more. You ain't going to have an artificial hip or an artificial knee. You're going to have what God intended you to have initially. You're going to be able to walk and jump and run and play and glorify God with the, with the body that God intended you to have apart from sin. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be a beautiful day. It's going to be all in the air. I mean, can you imagine these people going to be floating in there? Running like, Man, look at this. My knees are bending. My hips, look at this. I can do a push-up. You know, I can, do, I can do all these different things. They're going to be running around having a good time. Man, I am, I am fully free of the sin nature that bound this body for years. Praise God, this is awesome. And it's going to happen in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. And he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Let me tell you something about that word, inherit. Inherit usually is deemed within a family setting, right? Because there is an inheritance. For you to inherit something means that you've got a relationship with the one who's got something to give. There's no way you're going to get this kingdom of God. There's no way you're going to put on this incorruptible body apart from being in a relationship with Jesus Christ and being in the family of God. You got to be in the family of God. You got to be sanctified. You got to be justified and you got to be saved if you want to be a soon to be glorified believer. And that's what Paul writes as we conclude. Look there in verse 58. Paul writes there in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15, therefore, since all this has taken place, since we know it's going to take place, it's mysterious, don't really know when it's going to happen, but I know what's going to happen when it, when it happens. So therefore, my beloved brethren, not only now are you just brethren, you're not just family, you are my beloved family. You're my wonderful, loved, specially loved brothers and sisters in Christ. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So let me say this. This is the duty 
of the saved, justified, sanctified, and soon-to-be-glorified believer. A lot of words on that screen, right? <laughs> the duty of the saved, justified, sanctified, soon-to-be-glorified believer. Paul says this. He says, in light of all this that you've just heard about Christ's return and our glorified reunion with him, be steadfast. Be steadfast. That means to have patient endurance. Keep plugging along. Keep serving the Lord. Keep living for him. Be steadfast. One day, this is going to happen. One day, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. You ever seen somebody's eye twinkle? In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we're going to be changed. So until that time comes, be found faithful. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Be a rock for Christ. Be somebody who knows what you believe. Why have I been preaching this to you guys? Many of you have been here for, for a long time. You've, you're senior saints. Hopefully you've heard some of these words before. You've heard something preached along these lines before. But I'm telling you this. Be immovable in what you believe. Read the Word of God. Write it on your heart so you won't sin against Him. Be immovable. I follow a guy on Instagram and on TikTok. And he, uh, I think it's called Give an Honest Answer, I think is what it is. And this guy goes on college campuses and he, and he takes questions from, secular, from kids at, at secular campuses and he answers them from a biblical standpoint. And it's really cool to watch him talk. And he, he gives good answers back and forth. And he's, also, he's, he's got somebody else with him now. Uh, but, but they answer these questions, hard-hitting questions. Those guys are immovable. But they answer them with gentleness and meekness. One of the videos, matter of fact, one guy said, I saw him, he was out in the crowd, and he said, he spoke to him, he said, he said, I want to tell you, he said, I don't agree with everything you say, but he said, I appreciate the way you answer, and because of the way you've answered, I've got more respect for you, and I'm willing to come back and listen to you more and more. Listen, the way we answer people makes a big deal about whether or not we'll ever hear of a change in their heart. We can't just come at them all the time. We can't come at people that are lost all the time and just come in like this, like with a sledgehammer and a battering ram and be beating them over the head with the Bible. Answer them in gentleness and meekness. Know what you believe. Be firm in it. But with gentleness and meekness, answer. But be immovable. And always be abounding in the work of the Lord because of whom you believe, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be abounding in the work of the Lord. There's work that can be done here in this church. There's work that can be done at your workplace. There's work that can be done in your community. There's work that can be done in your neighborhood. There's work to be done for the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Listen, it's, it's not... This, this kind of goes along with evangelism. When we, it's our responsibility to share the gospel... It's not our responsibility to make them receive the gospel. But we are to be faithful. We are to be abounding in the work of the Lord. Because if I can make you become a Christian, someone else can make you not become a Christian. But if God changes your heart, the Bible says that once you're in the Father's hand, nothing can pluck you from the Father's hand. Then that's different. That's different than me changing your mind than God changing your heart. Be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing 
that your work in the Lord is not in vain. One passage of scripture, I believe that Paul wrote, it says, do not grow weary in doing what is good, for in due time you will reap a harvest. Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. Just be abounding in the work. You may say, I don't see a lot of fruit. I don't see a lot of fruit in what I'm doing. Just keep plugging at it. If the Lord has given you a desire to do that ministry, if the Lord has given you a heart for that, keep getting after it. I was talking with a young man just the other day. Matter of fact, I think it was, uh, it was uh, Friday night. And he said when he went to the church that he was serving at, he said we had uh, three students in the student ministry. And he said it was hard. I said, how long have you been at the church? He said, six, six going on seven years. I said, and he said, but the Lord's blessed us now. We've got 30 kids. Listen, it takes time. It takes time. It takes, listen, I'm going to tell you, as a student minister, I know. Sometimes it could take two to four years before your student ministry gets really the groundwork rolling. And you may say, man, I don't know if i got patience for that. God's got patience with you and me. Be patient with the work of the Lord. Be abounding in it. Just keep being faithful where God's called you to be. Be faithful where God's called you to be. Listen, as those who are saved, justified, sanctified, and one day glorified, we should abound in the work of the Lord. We shouldn't be complacent or lazy. Don't procrastinate either. We should be of all people diligent in our efforts in making the name of Jesus known. We should be of all people the most dedicated to our responsibilities. Whatever it may be, wherever you are, if you profess Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're a terrible worker at your job, you're not putting forth a good witness. You need to be, wherever you go, whatever you do, do it all with excellence as though you're doing it for the Lord. Be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work is not in vain. But we must do all this in the name of the Lord and do this from salvation in excellence. Not to bring glory to ourselves, but to bring glory to God. Let me ask you this today. We've walked through this whole series, this words of faith. I've talked about salvation at length. Talked about, we talked about confession. Well, we talked about, in that first, we talked about the revelation of sin. We talked about the, uh, the need of regeneration. We talked about uh, repentance we talked about uh, we talked about confession listen today we move from salvation we're justified at the moment of salvation we are sanctified as we go through our lives because we're trying we're wanting to be more like Christ be holy as he is holy sanctify yourselves as, as Christ the Lord and yet one day we'll be glorified the Bible says to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. If the Lord were to call you home today, where would you go? Where would you go? Where would your soul reside until that last trumpet blows? I pray that it's in heaven with him. That comes through making a profession of faith. It's by saying, it's by calling on the name of the Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised his son from the dead, we shall be saved. For it is with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and it is with the mouth one confesses unto salvation. 